Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What a day for returns. Max Scherzer, Nick Lodolo, and me. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, July 6th. Frank Stanfield joined by Chris Towers. Today on the show, we'll break down Max Scherzer's return. Red Sox prospect Brian Bayo is getting the call. Take a look at him, the dropometer. I've got a new segment, Did You Know? Just some random stats and fun facts about players doing something of note recently. Uh, but before we get into all the baseball talk, oh my goodness gracious, of course, coming up, Chris, happy belated birthday, buddy. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good. I'm 34. I would be the oldest player in baseball by seven years. Or that's what it feels like anyway. Um, the oldest player in good. softball. The oldest player in softball. That's you. I, I, <laughs> I have realized I am the oldest player on both my softball and, and flag football teams. So I'm the weird old guy now in my life. Um, so that's fun. But no, it's good. You know, watch some, watch some fireworks. Tried to make my, my sad dog feel better about the scary fireworks, which is just continuing to go on. I literally just heard one as I said that. So... It's it's rough times for dogs, like the the days leading up to and coming out of uh, July Fourth. But I think he'll be okay. I'm okay. Uh, congratulations on getting married. Boom. That was a, it. Was a very fun wedding. If you, uh, <laughs> yeah. How, how's the how's the ring feel? You know, someone asked <clears throat> me today. They're like, "Are you typing with the ring on?" Because I don't ever wear a ring, and I will say that was the first thing that I noticed. Typing on a computer with a ring is very weird. So I'm still trying to get used to that, but so far so good. Here, for, for those of you watching, I've got a little uh, oh, video of, of Frank dancing <laughs> to some Polish tunes. He had, he had some moves. Uh, it was, I was a good time. Uh, I don't remember that video, but I'm, I'm happy you took it and I'm happy you posted it on Twitter. For those watching on YouTube, you just got a nice little kick. Anyway, let's finally talk about baseball. Oh my good, goodness gracious. All right. Oh my goodness gracious, we'll start with you, Chris. Who do you have? I'm going to go with Max. Max Scherzer. Uh, you know, it's a big, big, been a big few days for Max's. You had Stranger Things, Max, uh, you know, big part of Volume 2. I don't know if you've watched it yet, Frank, but it's no very spoiler. good. I, I have watched it, but for the no sake spoilers, of the audience, no spoilers. No spoilers. Uh, but it's very, very good. Um, and she plays a big role, and Max Scherzer played a big role for... The New York Mets today uh, in his return from that oblique injury, and he looked amazing. He averaged 94.6 miles per hour. This fastball was actually up a mile per hour from his season average, 15 swings and misses. 
He said he was aiming for six innings or 90 pitches. He ended up needing only 79 to get through six shutout. It was soft landing, 11 strikeouts. And, you know, we always talk about when it's uh, a guy coming back from injury, a lot of the times you want to give them like a start to, to get right and get their feet under them. You don't want to do that with Max Scherzer. He, he's too good to ever not have in your lineup, especially in a matchup against the Reds. And, uh, I mean, look, I, I don't know if you can just throw Max Scherzer back in the top five uh, now that he's healthy, but he's probably going to be a top five pitcher when he's healthy. So, yeah, I, I, I'm throwing him right back in the top ten at the very least. Yeah, I think I was ready to just move him back into the top three, right, where he was before the injury up there with Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole. It's kind of a tier of their own right there, and then we get into, like, Verlander and Zach Wheeler, and, look, obviously, Sandy Alcantara, we'll talk about him in just a little bit. The strikeout rate. Of course, yeah. I think I think there is a pretty clear top six or seven starting pitchers right now in fantasy yep. baseball, and it, it includes all of those names that I just mentioned, but this was a fantastic return for Max Scherzer again. Six shutout, 11 Ks, 15 swinging strikes, velo up, ERA down to 2.26, just picking up right where he left off. The biggest thing for him is now he just needs to stay healthy. He needs to show us that yep. he can remain healthy, obviously a little bit older, getting up there, but when he's on the mound, he's obviously still one of the top, I don't know, might be top three starting pitchers, might be top six I or mean, seven. Might be the best way. starting pitcher in baseball still. He might know? be. He might be. Let's talk about Sandy Alcantara, who I've already mentioned has now might gone. Might be the best starting pitcher in baseball. This is crazy. <laughs> he has gone seven plus innings in 11 straight starts. He was up against the Angels on Tuesday. He goes eight shutout, two hits, zero walks, 10 strikeouts, and the swinging strikes were here in this one. 18 swinging strikes on 107 pitches, 10 on the changeup. Chris, what's even crazier about the start is he did not have his slider. He couldn't throw it for strikes. 9% CSW overall on that pitch in this one and still has one of his best starts of the season. And, of course, the Marlins tried their best to blow this game. Tanner Scott, <laughs> uh, Tanner Scott had the bases loaded in the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He did allow a run to score, but ultimately... Walks away with the win. Uh, Sandy now has nine wins on the season. Second most in the National League. That actually ties his career high, and we're about That's halfway. Actually, I'm stunned that he has nine wins. As someone who yep. has watched most of his starts and follows the Marlins, like I, I'm, I'm actually shocked that he has that many wins because it feels like there have been so many situations where the Marlins have just blown amazing starts by him. But, yeah, I mean, he is what? six and seven and one during this stretch of uh, 11 starts with at least seven innings. Yeah. I mean, look, he's not the strikeout guy. So that's what keeps him from being in the top. I don't know, two or three or five, whatever you want to define it as, but he's pitching as well as anyone in baseball and he's pitching as well as anyone as you possibly can without being an elite strikeout pitcher because his, his control's been incredible. Uh, he's got a walk rate, I believe, under 5% now. It might be under 4%, actually, now that he's uh, through this start, over this 11-start stretch. He's just been outrageously good. I don't think he's this good moving forward, obviously. I don't think he's a 1-5 ERA or a 1-8, whatever it is for the season even. But, yeah, Sandy, the, a someone I was very, very skeptical about for a long time, but he is... Um, literally just different from um, in the best way possible. Yeah, I can't believe I, I've been talking about it. We've been talking about him for two to three minutes, and I haven't even said it yet. 
Sandy. Sandy. I mean, the guy, like, he's just absolutely crushing it right now. Someone did ask me a, a fair question on Twitter about whether or not this workload can catch up to him, Chris. And I just pulled up the innings pitch leaders since 2019. Sandy Alcantara is second on that list behind only Zach Wheeler. And I think the fact that, look, what he's doing right now is kind of like unprecedented in baseball today, going mm-hmm. as deep as he is consistently. But I think because he's not done it to this level, but he's done it like kind of close to this level, I'm not really as worried about it. What do you think? I mean, I'm trying to remember if Sandy Alcantara has missed time at the major league level because of an injury. I know in 2020 he missed time because of COVID, but I don't think he's actually missed any starts, at least since he became a full-time starter with the Marlins due to injuries. And in 2018, between the majors and minors, he threw tw- he had 28 starts. In 2017, he made 27 starts plus three relief appearances. So, yeah, I think... Um, I don't know. It's he's a pitcher, so there's an inherent amount of risk involved. But he seems about as safe as anybody possibly could. And, and what is he on a pay, like a 230 inning pace? I mean, the, this is more. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're he's not going to keep doing this because you know that would require a sub two ERA, and like I don't think he's going to keep doing that, but. Um, he's one of the most reliable sources of volume at the position, and it it makes up for what he lacks in per inning strikeout numbers. He's um, a bona fide ace, a definite top ten guy, and I think you can make a case that he's in that top six, like you mentioned. All right, for sure. Yeah, Sandy Alcantara and Max Scherzer, you know those guys are awesome. You don't really need us to tell you that. How about Nick Lodolo, who was going up against Max Scherzer, also making his return to the Reds rotation in this start. Four and two-thirds shutout, three hits, three walks. He had eight strikeouts, 15 swinging strikes on 89 pitches. And according to Baseball Savant, he threw a slider in the start 33%. Earlier in the season, his only breaking pitch was a curveball. Maybe this is a classification issue. I don't know, but something that I'm going to monitor for like the days after this to see if they change it. But I thought that was interesting. And Nick Lodolo is 43% rostered. And I'm getting questions, Chris. Do I go out and add Nick Lodolo? I think it's a pretty good one. What do you think? I do think it was the curveball. Um, and it was just a classification error. And it, it was very good for him today. Eight swings and misses on 29 pitches. And it's been by far his best pitch this season. 193 expected Woba entering today's start 38% whiff rate. Um, and that's going to have to be the, the recipe for success for him. You know, the, the comp that, that comes to mind was someone like Reed Detmers, who also has a very, very good curveball, but didn't really have the, the rest of the pitches. I think Lodolo is showing, you know, the upside that can come from that profile. If you're, spotting the the fastball well and you're you're spotting the the curveball well but you know he's also we're dealing with relatively small sample sizes here um you know with Lodolo once he made four starts at the major league level so there's still reasons to be skeptical but I think there's plenty of upside here and I definitely think Nick Lodolo is someone worth adding do you think he's a must add <clears throat> no I mean not in like I think he's probably not roster, not not a must roster player in like a ten team points league, but a twelve team points league. I think he's probably worth rostering twelve team roto after this start. 
Uh, I would go ahead and, and say he's worth rostering. You know, hopefully he'll be able to build the pitch count moving forward and pitch a little deeper into games. But yeah, I think there's a lot to like about Lodolo. All right. Well, would you drop these pitchers for Nick Lodolo? We'll start with Michael Kopech. Let's fire up the dropo meter. He has not been the same since leaving a start with knee discomfort back in June. And on Tuesday, he gave up six runs over four and two thirds innings, four walks, four homers allowed, uh, the fastball and slider velo down one mile per hour each. And over his last four starts, Michael Kopech, a 6.86 ERA. The home runs are up. The walks are up. Uh, the strikeouts have been okay. But objectively speaking, Chris, 10% swinging strike rate, 4.3 walks per nine. These are quite bad numbers for Michael Kopech. Still 94% rostered. Where is he on the drop meter? One to 10. I would say pretty low, below a five for sure, maybe a three or a four. Um, just because I do think there's quite a bit of upside with Kopech, and it seems like if you look at you know, what he's done this season, the biggest issue by far seems to be that his slider just hasn't been an effective pitch for him. And, and that's really tough because he's a three-pitch guy, and two of the pitches are breaking balls. You know, Today he had three whiffs on 29 sliders. He got hit really hard with a 99-mile-per-hour average exit velocity on six balls in play. So that's really bad, and for the season... Kopech has just a 19% whiff rate with his slider. That's a really poor number. I mean, that would be pretty middling for a fastball. His fastball actually has a 26% whiff rate. So, you know, when you look under the hood, like the, the results on this slider have still been pretty good. But I think when you look at the biggest issue for him, it's probably just that he has to be too fastball heavy in pretty much all counts. I mean, the fastball has been by far the biggest contributor to his strikeout numbers. He has 44 of his gosh, I'm going to do some math on the top of my head. 63 uh, fast or 63 strikeouts have come with that fastball, and that's really hard to do. Like you have to be a really really special pitcher. Carlos Rodon is kind of one of the few guys who can do that, and and Kopech probably isn't that guy. So I think he probably needs to figure out whatever it is that's gone wrong with the slider. It's not breaking as much. Um, and and try to figure out a way for that pitch to be more effective if he's going to remain a, a viable starter. But I, I still think the upside is there for Kopech to be a very good starting pitcher. So I, I would try to avoid dropping him. I would rather have him than Lodolo. All right, fair enough. That was the next question. What about Jamison Tyone? He's been slying, uh, slowing down as well. This time he was at the Pirates. Five and a third innings pitched, five strikeouts. Uh, five earned runs allowed, excuse me. Last six starts for Jamison Tyone, 6.26 ERA, right around a strikeout per inning. It is actually surprising because earlier in the season, he was not getting many strikeouts, but the walks, the BABIP, the home runs have all climbed for Jamison Tyone. He's still 96% rostered. Where does he fall on the dropo meter? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing to keep in mind with Tyone is... Yes, he's getting closer to a strikeout per inning, but that's also because he's facing a lot of batters. He has a 1.38 whip, or he had a 1.38 whip in the month of June. So a 30%, 30 strikeouts in 33 and a third innings, that sounds okay, but it's actually, you know, more like a 21% strikeout rate, which is below average. So it's partially a function of him just facing so many batters. You see today, five strikeouts in five and a third, again, almost a strikeout per inning, but five on 22 batters that's more like a 22% whiff rate or strikeout rate. So that's partially a function of just him pitching worse. And, and I think Tyone is, it's 
totally fine to drop him. I just, I don't think he's all that good. Even when things were going well, I wasn't buying it. Um, the ERA is still fine, but the, uh, the expected ERA more like league average. And, and I think he'll probably be league average ish, maybe a tad worse. Um, so the kind of the only place he might stand out is wins. All right. Would you drop Jamison Tyone for Nick Lodolo? I'd be fine with that. I, I, I think Tyone is, is very droppable. Yeah, I think based on what you just said, like Tyone is going to get more wins than Nick Lodolo. I, I think we yes. can say that pretty consistently because Lodolo pitches for the Reds. But, I mean, if you're chasing uh, ERA, whip, strikeouts, I think that there's more upside uh, with Lodolo. And even then, I mean, they both make 16 starts the rest of the season. I don't know. You figure Tyone probably wins two to three more starts. I don't know how big of a, you know, impact that's going to be. All right. Well, would we drop either of those for one of the top pitching prospects in the game who will make his debut for the Red Sox on Wednesday? That is Brian Bayo. And it's actually spelled B-E-L-L-O. So if you're looking for him uh, on whatever fantasy site you play, it looks like it's Bello, but it's actually Bayo. And if you listen to our FBT and fives over the weekend, you know Scott's been talking about Bayo for quite some time because he is just lighting it up in the minors this season. 2.33 ERA, 104 whip, 114 strikeouts, over 85 innings pitched. The walks are a little high, but... 12K per nine, 63% ground ball rate, 16% swinging strike rate. I mean, Chris, basically every metric you look at, Bayo is yeah. incredibly uh, impressive and interesting. He's 35% rostered. What do you think about dropping either Tyone or Kopech to take a shot on Bayo? Totally fine dropping Tyone for him. The, the question with Bayo, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed when I, when I first saw his name, I thought was it Brian Bello and made me think of Brian Fellow, Safari Planet from Saturday Night Live, for those of you who remember that in the mid-2000s, which is one of my favorite skits. Alas, we won't be able to make those references. Uh, the question with Bayo is whether he's going to be in the rotation long-term. He's coming up right now because Michael Waka was scratched from a start, and you know he's dealing with some dead arms, so I don't know how long-term that is. And then Chris Sale, it sounds like he's going to return to the rotation next week. So... This could be a situation where Bayo really just makes one appearance. On the other hand, they have is was it Connor Siebold who's, who's made a couple starts for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a so a, it's a, possible they have a fellow named Josh Winkowski who's been starting for them. Yeah, so yeah. it's possible that if Bayo comes up and lights lights it up like he's perfectly capable of, I, I think it's possible that he will be in the rotation moving forward. And so that upside is worth chasing when it comes to dropping someone like Tyone. Yeah, I think that's an easy call. Um, Bayo, there have been, you know, I think the scouts have kind of looked at him as a future reliever in the long term because he's got a very violent delivery. But, you know, the walks are a little high, but not so high that it's alarming. He's got like a 36% strikeout rate in the minors right now with an ERA in the uh, low to mid twos. And scouting reports tout a three pitch mix with a fastball slider and changeup with potentially all three pitches rating out as plus. So it's a really exciting profile that, you know, Bayo can bring to the table. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he what he can do in his major league debut. Who would you rather add Bayo or Nick Lodolo? I think probably Bayo just because it's one of those opportunity cost things where it's more likely that Bayo gets called up. Like Lodolo was good in his first start, but he wasn't so good that I think he's going to be hugely rostered moving forward. Mm hmm. 
You know, I'm looking at the roster resource page right now for the Red Sox, and I forgot they have Nathan Avaldi who's going to return at some point too. So, yeah, yeah I think he oh. he threw a bullpen session. Yeah, on Tuesday. Um, yeah, yeah, this is tough. Um, I, I, I I agree the kind that of thing if, where if Bayo finds a way, right? If Bayo pitches well, he's going to remain. Like the Red Sox yeah. can use quality starting pitching, and again, yeah, like he has this type of upside. There's a reason why he's they're they're calling him up. So. It's really close between him and Lodolo. I think I would lean with Bayo as well, but there's a lot to like there. I agree I would drop Tyone. Would you drop Kopech for Bayo? I would prefer not to. Yeah. I think there's think similar so. upside there. Yep. All right, let's move over to some waiver wire hitter decisions in shallow leagues. It feels like I bring these names up a lot, but they're still available in, you know, it's got to be either 10 or 12 team league. So Roddy Telez went one for three, hit his 17th home run. He now has six homers over his last nine games. He's 77% rostered. Nathaniel Lowe went two for three, hit his 12th home run. He's now batting 282 overall. Like this batting average just continues to creep up for Nate Lowe. And uh, since the start of June, 31 games, he's seen 311, nine homers, a lot less ground balls. He's 56% rostered. And then Alex Kirilov. Went three for four with a double dong, three RBI here on Tuesday. 18 games since returning for Kirilov. He's hitting 306, three homers, 17 RBI, and hitting the ball extremely hard, 70% rostered. Chris, how would you rank those three? Rowdy Telez, Nathaniel Lowe, and Alex Kirilov. I would go with Kirilov, Lowe, and Telez. I think I've been pretty skeptical of Lowe, and, you know, I don't think, like, you know, his numbers since the start of June are. Much better than his overall numbers. I don't think he's a 311 hitter moving forward, but the expected stats mostly back up like a 280-ish batting average with with decent pop, and and, and I think that's what he can give you moving forward. So I think him and Telez are fairly similar players, but I don't know. I'll give I, I think Lowe and Telez are very very close, but I'll give Lowe a little bit of an edge right now just because we've been faked out by Telez so far this season already once. So. You know, I think he's going to remain streaky, whereas, you know, maybe Lowe can, can be a little bit more consistent. But I think they're similar players. Uh, Kirilov has a little more all-around upside, I think. Would you drop someone like Jared Walsh or Joey Votto for any of these names? I would be hesitant to do it with Votto, um, but I know I'm increasingly on an island there. I know there's a lot of frustration with him. Walsh, I think, is, is perfectly fine to, to drop. I think he's... Very clearly, just a just a guy. You know, last year's overall numbers I think overstate what kind of hitter he is. All right, I was quickly pulling up what Joey Votto has done since returning uh, back in the middle of May. Two fifty seven batting average, six homers, twenty two RBI, and that's not including whatever he did on Tuesday, which I think that game ended one zip. So probably not much. Yeah. Um, but certainly no RBI or runs. He's still he's. Hitting the ball really hard since returning, too. Yeah. Joey Votto is. Yeah, I still think there's enough positive in Joey Votto's uh, underlying skill set, whereas Walsh, too many strikeouts, still can't hit lefties, so I'm I'm more okay dropping him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move over to two outfielders in, I guess we could say, medium-sized leagues based on how rostered they are right now. Garrett Cooper went one for three, hit his sixth home run. 
This guy is hitting 315 with an 854 OPS. I mean, he's been really solid. You wish there was more pop there. Hits the ball very hard. Just too many ground balls, as we've seen in the past. Garrett Cooper is 45% rostered. And then someone I know you like a lot, Chris. Jaron Duran went two for four with his fifth stolen base. He is batting 329 early on. He's been leading off for the Red Sox. Interestingly enough, for someone who, I don't know, maybe we unjustifiably look at him as like a slap hitter because he's fast and he's like a leadoff hitter, but he's hitting the ball hard over 90 mile per hour, average exit velocity. He's leading off. Like I mentioned is struggling against lefties so far three for 19 against them. 55% rostered is Jaron Duran. Who would you rather have between those two Cooper Duran Duran, just the, the stolen bases give him, I think more overall upside, but Cooper, I mean, He's played now 174 games since the start of 2020. He's got a 297 average and an 846 OPS. Like, I think he's just a good hitter. You know, yeah. not not as much pop as you might think. Only 20 home runs, and obviously he's only played 174 games over the past three seasons. Really, two and three eighths or whatever the 2020 season is. But still, he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. Is the um, the headline there, but he's been healthy this season. He's playing pretty much every day. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think Eric Cooper is a, a very solid starting option. Okay. Would you take Cooper or Duran in a points league? Uh, there I would go Cooper. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's still close just because I, I love leadoff hitters for good offenses and points leagues just because more volume leads to more opportunity to score fantasy points, obviously. Uh, it's not the greatest profile for a points league hitter, but yeah, it's it's still close. I think I would go with Duran, but that one is much closer. In a one-catcher league, MJ Melendez has three homers over his last two games. He's 69% rostered, could be out there in some you know, 10, maybe 12-team points leagues. Mitch Garver, back-to-back games with a homer. He now has three home runs over his last seven games. And he's 56% rostered, has noted that he's playing through a forearm injury that he will need surgery for eventually. Uh, Chris, which catcher would you rather add if, if you need one, MJ Melendez or Mitch Garver? I, I think I would go with Garver, but it's really close. Uh, I'm fine with either of them as a fringe one catcher option, but Garver's just a little more proven. And Melendez, you know, before the last couple of games, he was ice cold. I think he had gone like 30 days without hitting a home run or something like that. So um, I'm I lean towards Garver. I think they're they're similar players, though. The, the primary thing that you're going to get out of them is pop. Any interest in these hitters anywhere? Derek, Derek Hall. This guy actually looks like he might be pretty good. He went three for five with a double three run scored. He's only played six games so far, but he's batting 304 and the batted ball distribution is very equal across the board. It's not like he hits too many fly balls or too many ground balls or anything. Uh, I worry about him against lefties. We'll see what happens there, but 23% rostered. He's been interesting so far. Chris, what do you think uh, about adding Derek Hall anywhere? Yeah, I think Hall's interesting. I I don't know if you know, adding him everywhere would be the way that I would go because like you said, there's still a question about what he's going to do against lefties, whether he's even going to play. He hasn't necessarily shown like outrageous raw power. And I think that's kind of the question is like, are the physical tools there to match up to what he, you know, the, the pretty solid numbers he put up in the minors, but yeah, based on what he's done so far, I think he's worth a look. Eric Haas has four home runs over his last seven games. He's playing every other day right now for the Detroit Tigers. 
which out of nowhere, offense has kind of been coming around for them. I guess you could thank Riley Green and, and Javier Baez for that. Uh, Eric Haas, 9% rostered. Chris, are you looking at him in any of your two-catcher leagues? Yeah, he's fine for two-catcher leagues. I mean, with, with two-catcher leagues, Eric Haas is kind of the what you get from your number two catcher in a lot of ways. Like last season, he hit 231 with 22 homers, 61 homer, 61 RBI, 48 runs. That's kind of like a... That's like a 65th percentile outcome for a number two catcher in most most often. So I think he can be that. I think he can be a a, a decent number two catcher, but he's he's certainly not a difference maker. All right, the last one here is Sam Haggerty, who went three for four with a sock and a shoe on Tuesday. His first home run, his second stolen base of the season. He is 0% rostered, so widely available. Uh, Chris, I mean, I guess it would have to be AL only or 15-team, five outfielder leagues. But if you just kind of do like the fun with small sample sizes things, Sam Haggerty is kind of interesting. What do you think? Yeah, the the thing that I would say to kind of throw some cold water on it is just that Kyle Lewis, I believe, began his rehab assignment either yesterday or today. So it sounds like he could be back from the, I think he has a concussion. So he could be back any day now. So that, that might make playing time hard to come by for Sam Haggerty. Um, so that I, I would, I would guess he's not going to play too often. All right. Fair enough. Before we I think Mitch Hanniger's getting close ish to coming back. I think he's, like a late July guy or maybe yeah. post all-star break, something like that. He's like hoping to start a rehab assignment in the next like week or so. Hopefully I think he's been out since April with an ankle sprain. I mean, this must've yeah. been the worst ankle sprain of all time because he's had some bad luck the last few years. Oh, for sure. And for anyone who doesn't know, look into the history of, uh, of Mitch Hanniger's injuries and you'll know exactly yeah. what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, he started, uh, he started like running around the bases and, you know, sounds like he could be, um, mm-hmm. you know, cleared soon ish. As of June 30th, he hasn't progressed to running at full speed yet. That is yeah. uh, Mitch Hanniger. So we shall see before we hit the break. Just want to remind everybody that if you are listening to us on Spotify, please help us out with a five-star rating. Uh, if you listen to FBT and five on Spotify as well, we could use some five-star ratings with that podcast. It's our five minute podcast, download and follow wherever you listen to this podcast. But look, I understand we're getting closer to fantasy football season. Maybe you don't have as much time to listen to the full lane podcast. We hope you st- Stick with us all season long, obviously. But if you listen to the five-minute podcast, help us out. Five-star rating with that one as well. Let's hit a break, and we'll be back right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. 
The news and notes. Juan Soto has now missed two straight while he recovers from a left calf injury. Cross your fingers, get back on track. Jacob deGrom is penciled to make his second rehab start Friday at single A. He recorded five outs, all via the strikeout, in his first rehab start on Sunday and apparently came away perfectly fine. He said the shoulder is 100%, so let's hope so. Honestly... <laughs> Can we get Jacob DeGrom back on the field like in a Mets uniform? It would just would make baseball much better in general. Yeah. Whenever he's out there, to have him in Scherzer as a one-two punch, it's, it would be awesome. So please, let's make that happen. Kevin Gosman, dealing with an ankle injury, did not throw his scheduled bullpen on Tuesday, and it sounds like he won't make his next scheduled start on Thursday. That hasn't been confirmed, but it's not looking good right now. Bobby yeah. Witt Jr. left Tuesday after getting hit on the hand by a pitch. X-rays were negative. More tests coming on Wednesday. And we, we really cannot lose him because third base is not a great position. And uh, I think he's nope. on like a 25-25 pace right now. So he's actually been very good, despite a lower batting average. Craig Kimbrell underwent a CT scan on his back Tuesday. Yancy Almonte converted the save for the Dodgers on Monday. Chris Taylor has been diagnosed with a small fracture in his foot. His timeline has yet to be determined, but this could open the door for Dodgers prospect Miguel Vargas, who is crushing it in the minors this season. 294 batting average, 13 homers, 9 steals. He mainly plays third base, but has also played first, second, and left field this season. So and he kind of would fit that mold that Chris Taylor is in for this team. And he's widely available, Chris. What do you think about uh, speculatively adding Miguel Vargas? Yeah, it's interesting because Mookie Betts did play his first game at second base on Monday. So that's going to be part of the plan for him. Um, whether, you know, hopefully he'll get enough to get to five appearances and, and have that second base eligibility because that would be really big for one of the weaker positions. But yeah, Vargas, I, I think there's a chance that he gets called up. The problem is the Dodgers have been f more than happy to call their top prospects up and then not play them every day if they think that gives them the best chance to win. So not necessarily a guarantee that he comes up and makes an immediate impact. So that's the one thing to keep in keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, they're uh, they're running a little thin here right now. They've got like Jake Lamb playing left field, and they've been using Trace Thompson, who, I mean, I think to his credit, he's actually played well for the Dodgers. But uh, yeah. yeah, obviously, he hits lefties well. Miguel Vargas would be much more uh, interesting if if he gets the call. So if you have a yeah. spot on your bench and you just want to take a shot. Um, again, the name there, Miguel Vargas, 26% rostered. Gene Segura had his pins removed from his broken right index finger. He's still not expected back until mid to late August. I don't think you want to stash him yet unless you have unlimited IL spots, but just a name to remember there. Anthony Rizzo was scratched Tuesday due to lower back stiffness, which is worrisome because he's dealt with back injuries the past couple of years. Uh, so we'll, we'll follow that closely with Rizzo. Eloy Jimenez concluded his rehab assignment and rejoined the White Sox, but hasn't been activated yet. He has not played a game since April 23rd with that torn hamstring. Kyle Hendricks left his start due to right shoulder soreness. Chris Archer was placed in the IL with left hip tightness, retroactive to July 2nd. Josh Winder started in his place on Tuesday instead. Edward Cabrera completed a 25-pitch bullpen session on Tuesday. He was placed on the IL with right elbow tendonitis on June 15th, but has also been dealing with some kind of personal issue, which I have seen zero details about. Um, Chris, I don't know if you know anything about this Cabrera situation, but I have still been 
stashing him in some leagues because yeah. I was very aggressive in adding him in fab. I don't know if that's the right answer here, but do you know anything about what's going on with Cabrera? No, we mentioned this on the Mailbag podcast on Monday, I think, that the only thing I've seen really was Craig Mish very like cryptically saying that it, what's going on privately doesn't match the public uh statements or something like something to that effect so i have no idea but it's a good thing that good sign that he was able to throw a bullpen session and it seems to be on the way back all right both jazz chisholm and jorge soler have been taking part in mobility and core strengthening work at the marlin spring training facility dodgers pitching prospect ryan pepio was called up to start on tuesday he allowed one run over five innings struck out six i think uh, the bigger part of his stat line is the fact that he only walked one because control has been a major issue for him. He's 9% rostered. Uh, and I think normally, Chris, we would want to add someone like this, but I think it's just going to be a spot start. So what do you think? Yeah, that would be my expectation. That's how they've used him so far this season. And, you know, yeah, the the one walk is a huge thing for Pepio because he's got really good stuff. Uh, it's just control has been a, a constant issue for him. And that's what we've seen so far from him in these spot starts. It's just been kind of iffy control. So not necessarily someone I'm, I'm running out to add right now. All right. Last bit of news here. John Birdie was out of the lineup on Monday and Tuesday due to, quote, lower extremity tightness. So one of the great upsets of the season, actually, is that John Birdie didn't get to play against Noah Syndergaard. That is. Oh, <laughs> that is. St- just so upsetting. Do you know who stole a base against Noah Syndergaard today? I do. Jesus Aguilar. <laughs> Not just Jesus Aguilar. Billy Hamilton also. That's less surprising. Yes, it is. Uh, but just Billy Hamilton's on the Marlins. But yeah, Jesus Aguilar, first career stolen base. He was, uh, I believe, the only player in Major League history with 100-plus home runs and no stolen bases before this. So this was disappointing like- that he's no longer a, the lone member of that club. This was his 701st career game for Jesus Aguilar, and he picks up his first steal against Noah Syndergaard. Something we pointed out in the past, like if you see Syndergaard on the schedule and yeah. you have an aggressive team in terms of you know someone that's willing to run uh, and you need steals, you, you should definitely play that player because Noah Syndergaard mm-hmm. is absolutely terrible at holding opposing runners on. Did you know? Let's take a look at some fun facts and stats. Julio Rodriguez, who... Admittedly, we talk about a lot because he is awesome. He went two for five on Tuesday with his 21st stolen base. Did you know, since May 1st, 62 games, he is batting 315 homers, 12 steals. That is a 36 homer, 29 stolen base pace over 150 games. And Chris, I've seen this has kind of been the talk of town the past couple of days on, on Fantasy Baseball Twitter is that Julio Rodriguez... I think more so in category leagues than any other leagues could be the first overall pick in fantasy next year. What do you think about that? I think that's probably a little too early to start saying that. Like Eh? as awesome as he is, like let's not forget that he's basically doing a decent Fernando Tatis impression. And we do expect Fernando Tatis to be back at some point in the next couple of weeks. And presumably be healthy for the start of next season. So it would be really hard for me to say after 70 some odd games that Julio Rodriguez has surpassed Fernando Tatis when Fernando Tatis is two years older than him 
and more proven. So that's not a knock. And I think that's the comp. Like you're hoping that Julio Rodriguez can continue to be the kind of guy who's just so such a special hitter that it makes up for, you know, lacking plate discipline. But I certainly wouldn't take him over Fernando Tatis at this point. All right. I think in a category to name one, Ronald Acuna. Yeah. I was just going to bring there's, up. There's some pretty good players out there. I was just going to bring up Acuna who on the season is hitting 285. He's got 17 steals in 48 games. I, that is just a ridiculous pace in terms of running. Yeah. The power has been a, a little bit lacking. A little only, lacking. Only seven home runs, but but my guess would be that the further he gets away from this knee injury, the more we start to see the power come back in that lower half specifically. And, so. and rest assured, we're going to get Julio Rodriguez in those first two rounds. We didn't do it last time yeah. when we redrafted. Scott wouldn't let us put him in there, but <laughs> I uh, we're, we're getting Julio Rodriguez in the first two rounds at least. Hey, I he might be in the first round. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about first overall yet, but he is... Um, He's getting there. That is Julio Rodriguez. No June, no problem for Kyle Schwarber, who had a double dong on Tuesday, now has 25 home runs total. And he leads Major League Baseball with 14 home runs since the start of June. Did you know, over the last 28 days, Schwarber is the number one hitter in both head-to-head points and category leagues? Did you know it, Chris? That sounds about right. I didn't know it, but (laughs) I, I believe it. He has been amazing. Again, Kyle Schwarber leading off of the Phillies. Yeah, he's tremendous. Regardless of uh, no Bryce Harper in the lineup, he's he's getting it done. It's you know, As we get into these warmer months, it seems like that's when Kyle Schwarber really starts to heat up, and that was the case last year, and, and that's been the case so far this year. I think we are well on our way to a 40-home a run season, assuming that Kyle Schwarber could stay healthy. Byron Buxton stole a base. Would you look at that? Did you know this was his first steal since April 11th? I know he's been dealing with a sore knee off and on all year. He still ranks 91st percentile in sprint speed, according to StatCast. Yeah. Chris, really? Since April 11th? It's kind of crazy. That is surprising. Uh, the good news is he's crushing baseballs still. So he, sure it's is. not like you're exactly disappointed in his production. I mean, 222 batting average, I guess, is a little disappointing. But yeah, I mean... I think the stolen bases, you know, maybe this is a sign that he's starting to feel a little better, in which case maybe, you know, hopefully he'll he'll start running more because he's certainly capable of being a big stolen base guy. Just not, uh, doesn't do it. Austin Riley went three for four with a double and his 21st home run of the season. Did you know that Austin Riley is another one of these Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez type hitters? I did not know this because I looked at the StatCast page 97th percentile average at exit velocity, 99th percentile hard hit rate, 91st percentile barrel rate. I knew that he hit the ball hard, Chris, but I didn't know that he was like upper echelon in terms of crushing baseballs. That is Austin Riley. Yeah, he's been awesome. 505 expected Woba on contact, strikeout rate, right around where it was last season. That's the one thing that's keeping him from like the upper, upper echelon of hitters overall. But, yeah, he's he's really good. I have that conversation from the preseason, Chris, just ringing in my head of me and you like, you know, Austin Riley might just be a jag. Who knows, man? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> look, sometimes we say, look, you uh, say several hundred things over the course of a, of a, of an offseason, 
dozens of them are going to sound very stupid. Very stupid, indeed. <laughs> and I like bringing them up because, uh, obviously, transparency. And, you know, look, you have to learn from your mistakes, too, right? It's the only get, way to get better mm-hmm. at uh, really anything but fantasy Here, baseball, Here's too. the problem, though. Is you know who could have been that guy? Who's that? And who a lot of people thought was going to be that guy? It's Tyler O'Neill, who was also a StatCast standout. So, you know, it's... It's hard to know what lesson to take from that yet, at least. That's fair. So but pi- Riley is awesome. He's a very good player. Some pitching leftovers from Tuesday's action. Noah Syndergaard's strikeouts are up over his last two outings. He was at the Marlins. Five innings, two runs, eight strikeouts to zero walks. He had 11 swinging strikes in this one. And I noticed that the slider usage has been up over his last two starts as well, at least 34% in each of those. And he's right around 19% for the season. So, uh, Chris, are you starting to get a little bit more optimism that maybe we're starting to get the the strikeouts from Noah Syndergaard once again? Uh, it's weird because the slider hasn't actually been a particularly good swing and miss pitch for him this season. It's at 26% entering today. Um, that's you know, better than his fastballs. So I guess if he's trading fastballs for sliders, that would be a good thing. But it's certainly, it still doesn't look like the, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not the same pitch that it used to be. He used to average 92 miles an hour with his fastball. And obviously his velocity as, as a whole is down. It's down about three and a half miles per hour from his peak, but the slider velocity is down about eight miles per hour from his peak. So it's just a different pitch than it used to be. And I think that's probably, you know, limiting the effectiveness of it. Um, So I, I I still think Noah Syndergaard's more along the lines of a fine pitcher than, than someone that I must have on my roster. Um, So yeah, I, I'm still pretty pessimistic about him. All right. What about Jose Quintana who has allowed two earned runs or fewer in three straight he was going up against the Yankees. He gave up one run over five innings, seven strikeouts to zero walks. He lowers his ERA to 3.33, and he's done a very good job preventing home runs this season. This is Jose Quintana, uh, and he's got a career-high 12% swinging strike rate, so actually pretty interesting. 23% rostered. Chris, how does Quintana compare to, like, Ladolo and Bayo, who we mentioned earlier, as waiver-wire pitchers? Less interesting than those guys, I think. I, I would rather take the chance on Lodolo or Bayo than, than Quintana, but he's starting to be worth... I, I think he's worth rostering in a 12-team league, at least. Would you drop Jamison Tyone for Jose Quintana? I'm fine with that, yeah. Okay, last one I wanted to mention here. Christopher Sanchez put together a solid start for the Phillies, filling in for Ranger Suarez. He went five shutout, only had two strikeouts, uh, very heavy with the changeup in this start. He uses three pitches, sinker, changeup, slider. And in the minors this year, he was performing quite well. He gets a ton of ground balls. We're talking like every level, 60% plus on the ground ball rate. Uh, Chris, I guess in very deep leagues, it, do you see anything here with Christopher Sanchez, who does have a SPARP eligibility? It would have to be like... Uh, an ale only. I think even in, in your head-to-head points leagues, the, the rosters are, are typically too shallow for for me to think that Christopher Sanchez is worth much uh, attention, even as a Spart. So, you know, maybe if he remains in the rotation and gets a, a two-start week at some point, I guess maybe that would have been this week if it if it's not going to be the case. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I don't have much interest in him. All right, some hitting leftovers from Tuesday. Bobby Witt Jr., I mentioned earlier, went two for five with his 12th home run. He also has 12 steals. 
That is a 25 homer, 25 steal pace for the season. Alex Bregman went three for five with his 10th home run. And over his last 16 games, he's batting 357, four homers, and hitting the ball much harder. So uh, you love to see that for Alex Bregman. And you love to see Seiya Suzuki. Earlier in the season, got off, like, really, the first week, he was amazing. And then after that, really, really slowed down, was on the IL for a long time, returned, and his first two games back, two hits in each game, a home run. On Monday, was an inside-the-park home run, off of Josh Hader, actually. And uh, then on Tuesday, of course, it was a traditional home run. So I, I think a, a nice bounce back so far for Seiya Suzuki. Cedric mm-hmm. Mullins went... Three for four with two walks, two runs, and three RBI, including a walk-off RBI single. And since the start of June, I've mentioned this a few times, uh, Mullins has been much better. Not much power, but he's hitting 319, 13 doubles, five steals, hitting the ball a little bit harder, making more contact. Uh, he's been doing a good job getting back on track, leading off of the Orioles. This one I think that we should expand on a little bit more, Chris, because I saw you tweet about him recently, and I hadn't realized this, but Wander Franco... He went one for two with three walks, three runs, and, and his fifth stolen base. It's been a weird season for him. One where he was out a long time with his quad injury. He's hitting mm-hmm. 261. He's got five homers, five steals, and in 55 games. He doesn't walk that much. Like He doesn't walk as much as you think. He makes a lot of yep. contact. Um, his batted ball distribution, very similar to last year. Hits probably too many ground balls. Um, and his max EV is impressive, but his actual average exit velocity is not. And... He hasn't been good against right-handed pitching so far in his career. A, a sub-700 OPS bat as a switch hitter. It's kind of just been a weird season so far for Wander Franco, who many you know had pegged as a breakout. What do you think? Yeah, and early on in the season, it looked like there were there were real reasons to believe he was breaking out. You know, you, you mentioned that Max Exavilo. There were some small sample sizes, but he was hitting the ball very hard early on, and. I do wonder how much of this is just the the quad injury kind of derailing him because his numbers were better before the injury. And, you know, there seems to be some bad luck involved. His expected batting average is 308. His actual batting average is 261. So I do think there's probably room for improvement there. I'm not sure if, like, maybe he's being especially hurt by the switch, by the, by the shift. Um, I don't. Yeah, there's something there maybe as a right-handed hitter. His Woba against the shift is really low, but I think the sample size is pretty small there. So I think it's too early to say definitively one way or the other. It might be a situation where he just, maybe he swings too much. <laughs> you know, maybe that it, maybe that's the case. Maybe there's just like, like he's got a really high chase rate. Um, he's in the 18th percentile on chase rate. He ch- he's, he's got a 33.7% chase rate. He swings in the strike zone 76% of the time, which is, it doesn't seem like that high of a rate, but it could be a situation where he could just benefit a little bit from being more selective. 54% swing rate overall. Um, You know, he probably is swinging at some pitches that he shouldn't. And maybe there's a difference between aggressiveness and and discipline that he needs to find a balance with. Mm. So the, uh, the second coming of Vladimir Guerrero, huh? Look, no one else is Vladimir Guerrero, but it, it sounds a lot like Vladimir Guerrero just based on yeah, uh, being that aggressive with your swing, chasing pitches, but also the this uncanny ability to make contact. So that, yeah. the profile just kind of makes sense in my head. But of course, Wander Franco has a long way to go. Max Muncy uh, had two hits on Tuesday, including a sock and a shoe. His eighth home run, his first steal. Don't really expect Max Muncy to run, but 
some signs lately, last seven games, 261 batting average, three home runs, and we need to see something. So let's go, Max Muncy. Chris Bryant uh, went, I think I saw he picked up a second hit. So two for four with his first home run with the Rockies. First home run on July 5th. I know he's missed a lot of time, but like whoever, <laughs> whoever thought they could have predicted this with Chris Bryant, um, geez. Couldn't have been me. The call to the bullpen. Some bullpen updates for the Marlins. Tanner Scott walked two and gave up a run, but picked up his 10th save of the season. For the Orioles, I assume that Jorge Lopez was unavailable. He worked three of the last four days, and he allowed five earned runs in those three outings. Uh, The Orioles turned to Felix Bautista, who gave up a go-ahead home run to Corey Seager in this outing. And then on the other side, Joe Barlow enters in the bottom of the ninth, with a one-run lead, he gets the first two outs. He gives up a game-tying game home run to who? Rugned Odor, of all people. Yeah, that, that game was kind of bonkers because yeah. the the Orioles went up 4 nothing early, and then it was just back and forth after that. So. Yeah. It really, it really was an interesting game, too, because the Orioles scored a run in each of the... 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th innings, yeah. Yeah, so they scored three runs in the 7th and one in the 8th, yeah. one Spencer in the Spencer Howard came up, and I was interested because his last start in the minors was really good. I think he had like 11 strikeouts, but he was bad, bad again. I just don't think it's going to happen for him. Not great from Spencer Howard. Uh, for the Pirates, David Bednar picked up his 13th save. I did see on the other side of that game, not that it matters much, but for the Yankees, Aroldis Chapman pitched in the... I guess it would have been eighth inning when they were down five to two and his velocity was way up. It was like two or three miles per hour up on his fastball. So just something to watch. That's a good sign. Uh, Unless you have Clay Holmes, in which case (laughs) potentially not a good sign. I think it's probably okay. Astros. (laughs) Just keep talking, Chris. Cut me. I'm I'm being honestly like, yes, just keep doing it. Uh, Rafael Montero gave up a run, but picked up his uh, sixth save. Not sure where Ryan Presley was in this outing. I read that he pitched on Sunday and then he was warming up in the bullpen on Monday. So perhaps they just wanted to give him the night off. Sometimes they they count warming up as like technically pitching. So I don't know, but we'll follow that. And then for Oakland, I saw that Lou Trevino picked up his sixth save and uh, he's only 24% rostered. So in deeper category leagues, I picked him up in a few 15 teamers last week. You know, with uh, with Danny Jimenez on the IL, it looks like Lutrevino yep. is the closer once again for the Oakland A's. Again, Jimenez, I think through a bullpen session, but he's probably still uh, you know a couple weeks away. Oh right, how about to stream or not to stream? We'll start with Wednesday. David Peterson at the Reds, Graham Ashcraft versus the Mets, Glenn Otto at the Orioles, Spencer Watkins versus the Rangers, Brian Bayo in his debut against the Rays. Alex Cobb at the Diamondbacks and Mitch White versus the Rockies. That game is in Los Angeles. I like Peterson, Cobb, and White all quite a bit more than our typical streaming options. I think I would go Peterson, Cobb, and White in that order. And then obviously, you know, I want to see what Bayo looks like, but I'm, I'm interested in picking him up before he makes the start anyway. All right. And then on Thursday, we have JT Brubaker at the Reds, Mike Miner versus the Pirates. Michael Lorenzen at the Orioles, Austin Gomber at the Diamondbacks, and Marco Gonzalez versus the Blue Jays. I'm significantly less interested in any of these options (laughs) than the previous three that I mentioned. Um, I mean, Marco Gonzalez, like, I 
he's pitching really well right now, or at least he's getting really good results right now, but I can't. I'm sorry. If Marco Gonzalez has a good start against Toronto and you don't have him in your lineup, I, I think you just eat it. Like that's that's one that like I I can't I can't recommend him. I'm sorry. Uh, cue up the tweets, Chris. They're they're already in your inbox when it comes to uh, to Marco Gonzalez. I did just see this. I wanted to bring yeah. it up for the Dodgers. Obviously, Kimbrell dealing with this back injury. Yenti Almonte got the save on Monday. That game just went final. Bruce Dark Gratterall got the save on Tuesday. So Good. if anything Good. happens to uh, Craig Kimbrell, perhaps we see a little bit of a uh, committee approach here in the Dodgers yeah. bullpen. We're going to wrap there. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.